Shelley Schlender. This is an extended version of an interview the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth, broadcast on February 28, 2012, about radiation cleanup efforts around and in the Fukushima nuclear power plant. This interview features Steve Rima. He's Vice President of Radiological Services and Engineering at AMEC in Grand Junction, Colorado. Roughly 500 square miles around the Fukushima reactors have been evacuated and must be cleaned up before residents can move back. Rima's company is assisting with that cleanup. He's been there several times in the last few months. We spoke about his experience there via Skype. I think it's that one. That's the one. Yes. How are you? I'm, I'm, new, I'm a new Skype user. <laughs> well, tell me this. While you're a new Skype user, you're not new to helping with nuclear power plant cleanups. Is that right? That is correct. I have done it for probably close to 30 years now. What kind of projects have you worked on? Well, I started out in the Navy, in the nuclear Navy, and then for about the last 30 years, I've worked on a number of Department of Energy projects around the U.S., weapons kind of cleanups. Um, I've worked in several nuclear power plants, and with the company I'm in now, we work in Japan and Canada and various places all over the world. What kind of cleanups have you been involved in? Have there been planned cleanups? Let's shut this place down. It's time to decommission it. Let's get it up to green grass quality. Or has it been more, whoops, we need to clean this up because it leaked? <laughs> the majority have been well-planned ahead, thought-out cleanups. Um, there, there aren't a lot of whoops in the industry. I mean, fortunately, obviously, Three Mile Island and Chernobyl, and I had little involvement in those. But for the majority, they were, they were planned well ahead. Is it as expensive as most people think? to clean up a nuclear power plant? It is every bit as expensive as most people think, yes. It is very expensive, mainly because of the cost of disposal. But it, it's expensive. Well, when you say disposal, you're not just talking about bricks and mortar. No, it's building debris, bricks and mortar, and concrete, and soil. It's the clothing we wear when we're cleaning up. It's, it's everything involved. To be able to put it someplace where radioactive materials can have a time to quietly settle into normal materials. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard it put that way, but that's true, yes. I isolate it from the environment and from human contact and make it safe, yeah. Which will take a long time. Does it go down to New Mexico for the most part? Um, no, actually in the U.S. for the most part, uh, most of it goes to a site about 70 miles west of Salt Lake City in Utah. And then there is a site in Texas, South Texas. There's one in Washington State. There's one in Idaho. And how long will the material have to stay there? All of those are designed and constructed to be there forever in perpetuity. They're all very isolated. They're designed similar to a municipal landfill, which is not designed to ever be dug up either. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> None of our landfills, whether they're hazardous, chemical, radioactive, are designed to ever be dug up. Hmm. Well, some say the world will drown in fire and others say in ice, but maybe the landfills will suffice. Well, how about it? When you clean up any kind of nuclear power plant or any other nuclear facility, does it get cleaned to the point that you could build a preschool there? In most cases, yeah, it gets cleaned up to we either call it greenfield or unrestricted release standards, which means you could build a, a house or a school or anything you want there, yes. So greenfield means it's going to be as clean as you want. As clean as before they built the plant or the facility, essentially. That's what greenfield means. How about in Fukushima? How's it going there to greenfield things? There are really two separate cleanups in Japan. There's one cleanup on the reactor site that we are not involved with as a company. I'm not involved. I've been there. Um, that one it will take a while. 
it's very radioactive. A lot of what you've seen in the press is true. Won't be cleaned up at least anytime soon to Greenfield. The other cleanup is much larger, and we don't hear much about it in the media, and that's the off-site cleanup. There's about 500 square miles off of the reactor site in Japan that have been evacuated. All of the utilities are off, and those 500 square miles have to be cleaned up so the residents can move back. And that's, that's where I've been. That's, where, that's what we're working on. Now, I'm trying to remember my math. I'm trying to figure, how big is 500 square miles? If you had a rectangle 30 miles by 20 miles, that's 600 square miles. On a map, it doesn't look that big, but it is. I don't know how big Denver is. Denver may be close to that. I, I don't know. It's, it's actually not as big as you would think on a map. And yet, Denver might be a good analogy because this was a somewhat urban area, or was it more rural, where you're having to clean things up? I, I'm trying to picture that, too. It's about two hours north of Tokyo. Tokyo is a huge city, obviously, much larger than Denver. Where this happened, the plant was on the east coast, which was a good thing, as it turns out, because prevailing winds are west to east. So most of the releases went in the Pacific Ocean, and while we can detect them, it's truly not enough to cause harm. There's a lot of dilution there. One day, the wind turned and blew northwest from the plant, and there's a plume that goes northwest, it's mainly small towns, farm, a lot of people live there, but it's smaller towns and cities, a lot of farmland, rolling hills, forests, that kind of land. Boy, I'm trying to picture how you clean something like that up. <laughs> um, and the first time I went there and went into this exclusion zone, which is guarded and you have to dress out to go in, it truly is mind-boggling when you look around at some of that. Some of it, you can't. A heavily forested mountain, you can't clean it up. Nature will clean it up and time will clean it up some, but some of it we're not going to clean up. We can't. Is it that dirty with radioactivity? Is it just like a little, you know, whisper of radioactivity? Or is it enough that when you go there, you go, boy, we really need to clean this up? You know, to, to go in it and work in it, it's not enough to be dangerous. But, and it varies in that 500 square miles. But there are parts of it where you would not want to live. You would not want to stand outside in the field for any length of time. It is, it is that radioactive. A good way for us to picture this is a forest with houses, places, villages, and stuff, but about as big as Denver in terms of the geographic area, about that size, and it all needs to be cleaned up. Yes, it's a daunting task. The Japanese government has estimated it will cost $14 billion with a B. My gut feeling is that's low, and it'll take years. I wonder how much it's going to cost just to deal with the damage from the earthquake and the devastation of the tsunami that hit that area, because there's a lot to clean up from that as well. That's been one of my frustrations is, for the most part, the media has moved early on from the tsunami and the earthquake damage onto the nuclear and, and speculation on what if and what about this and is it going to reach California. It's sad to go over there. There's towns and cities wiped off the map that will probably never come back. There's fifteen or 16,000 people confirmed dead. There's 5,000 missing that they'll probably never find. And the Japanese people are probably the kindest, courteous people I've ever met anywhere in the world. They don't complain about a thing. But the world's kind of moved on from their plight. It's, it's really sad in a lot of ways. There's years and years and years worth of cleanup and reconstruction. There's people displaced from their houses and towns and farms. They're spread all over Japan because of power shortages. You know, Japan's a fairly small island. 
The whole country has power shortages now. They turn the air conditioning way up in the summer, and it gets very hot there. It's going to affect the, their whole economy for a long time. Well, Steve Riemann, um, I can picture that with the tsunami and the earthquake, and yet my guess is that the effect of the radiation will last longer. Um, yes and no. It's a little different from what we found at Three Mile Island or Chernobyl or some of the other cleanups we've done. The primary isotope is cesium-137, which has a 30-year half-life, nominally five or six half-lives. It's truly gone. It's not like the millions of years, you know, uranium and plutonium and some other things we hear about that, oh, they'll be around for million, millions of years. That's not the case here. It's relatively short-lived, but, but that's still a long time, you know, 100-plus years. But that's not 10,000 years. That's correct, or millions. So you're doing the cleanup in that outside area. How do you tell which areas to clean up and how much to clean them up? How do you tell? Well, the Japanese government obviously is the one in charge of the cleanup. They're funding the cleanup. We're working with a number of Japanese-based companies, construction and remediation companies. Our, the company I work for has some proprietary technology and radiation detectors. So one of the things we've done, for example, was cleaned up some rice paddies, farm fields essentially, and they'll scrape six or eight or, or 12 inches off the top. And we have a system that'll sort that clean and radioactive, put the clean soil back, bag the radioactive soil up for eventual disposal. We've surveyed kindergarten yards, we've surveyed streets and schools and towns. And so a lot of what we're doing now is initially we're mapping it to find out what's there and then start really cleaning up in earnest. Is it like in the United States where you have citizen activist groups who go in and double check to see if they agree with your numbers? Is that allowed in Japan? It's not. Like I said, the Japanese people are very stoic, they're very courteous, they're real polite. Um, one of the supreme virtues there is to fit in and not stand out in the crowd. There is no protesters, there's no citizen activists really. There is none of that. It's a very different culture that way than, than, than here. Do you want to give an opinion on which is a better place to work? <laughs> you know, obviously I was born and raised in the U.S. Um, uh, I like going there, but it's, it's uh, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but it's a very different culture. The language is very hard to learn at my age when all I know is English. I don't know that either one's better or worse. I think there's virtues of, of, of both cultures. Well, I guess what I'm wondering is in terms of the checks and balances, is there anybody who double checks and says that you've done your job right, who has such a stake in it that they would look pretty hard to see if you've done it wrong? There are, and, it, and it's the government. The people there trust their government more than, at least right now, we do in this country. Or at uh, least they used to. <laughs> There's the Environment Ministry there. There's an agency called the Japanese Atomic Energy Agency. They're overseeing the cleanup. They're coming in behind what the private companies do, and, and they're watching everything. They have people out there all the time. They're verifying that it really is cleaned up. Okay, and their plan is how soon to move people back into these areas? Um, you know, I don't know that they have that kind of plan. This cleanup just started a few months ago. And right now it's kind of in a demonstration phase, and then it'll really start in earnest later, probably this summer, late spring, summer. But it's going to be a methodical kind of thing where you go in and clean up a town or an area, then they'll have to turn the utilities back on and let people back in that area, and it'll, it'll move along that way, I suspect. You're saying that you'll clean it up one town at a time. 
and you'll look for hot spots and you'll clean up the hot spots. And then they'll come in and say it's greenfielded now. Yes, that's kind of how it's going to proceed. And it's going to take years. Well, how about that place where you're not cleaning it up? Where what? How about that place in the middle <laughs> where you're not cleaning it up? The, the nuclear power plant itself. Is it just that it's so hot that there's nothing that can get near the hot spot of the nuclear power plant itself? Well, there are actually companies on, on the site cleaning it up. One of the things they're doing right now, for example, is one of the reactor buildings that was destroyed. They've almost completed a building on top of it to contain it. There are a number of companies and several are U.S.-based companies who are working on the reactor site to get it cleaned up and make it safe. We just chose as a company not to do that kind of work. We're working off the site. You know, I guess it was my kind of concept that what's happening right there at the nuclear power plant is it's too hot to get near. You can't send a robot in because the robot gets close and its remote control messes up and so you can't talk to it anymore. People can't get close to that. So it, it sounds as though there are some places in the, in the power plants where that's just going to have to burn. Nuclear radiation burn itself out, which could take a long, long time. And there are places inside the, some of the reactor buildings that you wouldn't want to send a human. Robots could still work. But can they work, or is it too radioactive for them to be directed with remote control? It's not. Um, there are things called radiation-hardened electronics that's really come out of the defense program and space industry. Astronauts in space receive a lot of radiation, so the electronics are hardened and tested. And so robots would work, but, but, but the, the approach they've taken for the plants themselves, the real damaged ones, is to clean up around them, cool them down. They're all cooled down now. And then they're going to build another building on top of and around the reactor building to contain it all. That it'll probably stay like that for many years, just to isolate it. Many. Do I count it on my fingers, or my fingers and toes, or do I count it in centuries? Do, and we might get better technologies for cleaning it up at some point, you hope? True. Um, and, it, and radioactive material does decay over time, so it's always, there will always be less. It'll be a combination, I think, of technology and, and let it decay. In the center of the plants, is it more intense and more complex kind of decay happening? It's a lot more isotopes, types of radioactive material. It's, some of them are much longer lived. Uranium and plutonium, for example, will be around for thousands of years. I suppose that you're somebody who's in favor of nuclear power. You know, <laughs> I, I actually wondered if that was, would come up. I, I've worked it several early in my career. There's pros and cons, frankly. As far as global warming and greenhouse gas, they emit zero. There's thousands of them worldwide, most of whom have never had a problem whatsoever. You know, I think if you weigh all the pros and cons and it's done right, I think they're safer than most other forms of energy. Whether it's the right answer really long term, maybe not. And there's that pesky problem of where do we put the waste? You know, that pesky problem is purely political. <laughs> From a technological standpoint, there is no radioactive waste problem. The volume is fairly small. It's a political problem, especially in this country. Other countries have gotten around that. We have not yet. So the, it's not the waste disposal that makes you go, maybe yes and maybe no. It's something else. It's very expensive technology compared to any other form to generate energy. You know, there's public opposition to it. Some, some is valid. There's concerns. 
And eventually, you know, if we can perfect more greener sources of energy, then that's probably the way to go. I don't know that it's on the near-term horizon, though. I think right now, at least in this country, we need a combination of all of it. If we shut down all the nuclear power plants in the U.S. right now, we'd have some severe power shortages here. So, you know, I, I think a mix is the answer right now. If we were to put a lot of energy into promoting one and developing one, are you somebody who would say, make the new things a mix as well? Or in your heart of hearts, would you rather see us really push the renewables? Really, really say, if we're going to go with renewables, let's do it. Well, I think long term, we ought to go to renewables. I really do. But I don't think any of them are quite yet ready for prime time to generate. If a typical nuclear power plant in the U.S. generates is a thousand megawatt generating plant. Wind turbines are about five megawatts, from my knowledge, so it's easy to do the math. It takes vast land areas for a solar plant or windmills to make up one of those, or a coal-fired power plant. They're about the same size. So that's why I say I think near-term, it's, it's got to be a, a combination of all of them. Has what's been happening at Fukushima affected your opinion about uh, nuclear power? Or do you kind of go, well, these things are going to happen sometimes. We, we can try to prevent them from happening, but there will be surprises. It hasn't changed my mind a lot. I know what happened at Chernobyl. I know what happened at Three Mile Island. And I know what happened at Fukushima. Not to get into too much about Chernobyl, that was, that was one of the dumbest designs that man could have ever come up with. It was inherently unsafe. It would have never happened in most countries in the world. It wouldn't have been allowed. Three Mile Island was very expensive, but there was almost no radiation released off-site, no damage. Very expensive for the utility. Fukushima, if you look at what happened there, um, that was like the second or third largest earthquake ever recorded on the face of the earth. The earthquake did not damage the plants. A tsunami that they never thought would ever happen as big as what it was happened. Obviously, they're learning from that. It hasn't changed my mind much, no. I mean, we've had coal-fired power plants that have had problems and gas plants, and, you know, it's part of technology, unfortunately. We still have a lot of fatalities in the U.S. in cars every year, but I don't see people protesting against cars. So I try to keep risks in perspective that way. Far more people were, are killed every year in the U.S. in car crashes than were killed in from the nuclear power plant Fukushima or Three Mile Island or Chernobyl, for example. So I try to keep that stuff in perspective. And thank you. I appreciate you're just basically sticking with what you've seen on the ground. Yeah. That's not a perspective we get to hear very often. No, it's not, especially from outside because they're Japan. You know, another one thing about Japanese culture is it's very insular. Um, they don't allow a lot of outside companies to come in and do things like this. They're, they they want to handle everything themselves and take care of it themselves. So it is fairly rare. You've been listening to an extended version of an interview with Steve Raima who's been working on the ground in Japan on the off-site cleanup of radiation near the Fukushima power plant. I'm Shelley Schlender. You can find out more at our website, howonearthradio.org.